Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, friends. Welcome to First Lady and Friends. I'm Utah's First Lady, Abby Cox. Today's episode is something I am so ready to share with you. I have five different friends joining me to talk about some topics I'm really passionate about. I'm finally going to introduce you to my First Lady's initiative. It's called Show Up. All right, let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends podcast. We are here today with Kirsten Rapley, my director of First Lady Initiatives. Um, Kirsten, you've been on with me before, but we have some really exciting things to talk about today. Yeah, I'm supposed to be a co-host of this podcast if this like pandemic thing will ever let up. And, you know, KSL is really good. You guys should all know KSL is really, really good to keep the COVID conscious, as I call it. And so we can only have a few people in the studio at one time. And we'll get all of our crazy friends back to us at, at some point here. But yeah, I'm really excited about today's episode. It's going to be, we're calling it a, <laughs> oh, I'm already laughing. So, okay. I'm really, really excited, excited, excited about this episode because, okay, one of our friends called this out, you guys. Abby should tell. Well, why. so I was told this morning that, um, that our podcast is really great, except... <laughs> that we use the word excited entirely too much. So we are going to try to pull out the thesaurus and find some problem words is. that are better than excited. <laughs> and and to that wonderful friend of ours, we know that you have our back. But also, we're just excited people. Like, we're pretty hyped. Abby has been working with me for the duration of the day at this point and knows how much caffeine I've had. So there's just no going back from There's There's excitement point. in the air. However, it is actually objectively going to be an exciting episode because <laughs> because we're going to deep dive today, right? I am I am absolutely thrilled about um, this episode. True, truly, um, when you are listening to this, it, we're, we're recording this um, before we actually do our initiatives launch, but it will drop after the initiatives launch. And um, we want to just give a real like postlude of what what we announce in in our launch and it's going to be um what we've been working on for the last 4 months um and it's the thing that I get really excited about it's excited the thing about. that I, that I have is my spark it's the thing um that you know these are these are things that are meaningful to me and I hope they are meaningful for the rest of the state um, so we're, we're just, um, we're ready to, to show up for Utah. Uh, so <laughs> my initiative is, um, 
the name of it is going to be Show Up. That's going to be the umbrella uh, initiative. And underneath that umbrella, we are going to have four focus areas. Um, and so we can uh, just get right into that. Kirsten, do you want to talk a little bit about how we got here? Yeah, it's actually really fun to think about what we've been doing with our time over the last several months. You jumped into this role on January 4th. I think we talked about this when your husband raised his arm to the square and swore an oath that he was going to do this. And then you sort of inherited this role. And so we've really spent time figuring out what does a first, in this case, a first lady do. And we have brought in a lot of people in these areas. You, you know, before you were officially elected and sworn in, you kind of had an idea, Abby, of focus areas, things that you wanted to spend your time on. But there's no rule book for how a first spouse or partner does their job. And what we found is that across the country, there are some who are incredibly ambitious, who have like a bunch of people working with them. And there are some that just kind of live pretty private lives. And I uh, one of the things you said to me early on is that you want to be on the really ambitious side, right? You said, like, I've been a stay-at-home mom, home mom for a long time, and I loved that, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get into this. And so we spend a lot of time listening, bringing people in from different um, focus areas and kind of discovering what the needs are that are out there in the community so that we could make sure our efforts over the next several years are spent in things that are actually needed. You you always say no fluff, right? And so we didn't want to pretend like we knew what was going on in, in for example, in foster care or in social and emotional learning, these these focus areas. So without further ado, <laughs> I suppose, and, and, if, and for those of you who are listening, I hope you got to, you get to go back and watch some of the coverage from our launch event. We've been re- working really hard to get to this point and um, wanted to make it, you know, not just a press conference, although that's a really important part of sharing our story with Utah, um, but also doing a service project in alignment with that. So yeah, let, let's hit them. Let's talk, let's talk about all four really quickly. Okay. So let's just talk about to begin with show up and what does that mean? And we, we hit on this as, as sort of this initiative um, label, but it it really is meaningful to us because it means, um, and and you'll see throughout all the initiative focus areas, this interwoven idea of creating and fostering empathy um, and connection, especially with our youth and with our children. Um, so so the first area of focus that we're going to um, be diving into is social and emotional learning. And hopefully you know what that means. Sometimes we call it SEL, but this is really about, and it seems like, well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, what's been really fun is we've gathered people in this space. We gathered educators, teachers, we gathered um, superintendents, we talked to the state superintendent, we talked to um, the governor's um, education, education advisor, advisor mm-hmm. Brittany Cummins. And we have brought in so many people in this space, in this area and said, what is needed? And we had an incredible conversation with two groups, especially were our teachers and which uh, a little later on, you're going to hear from one of them and our students. We had a group of students that just blew us away mm-hmm. with their with their candor and exactly what they felt was needed. And it was interesting because our, our teachers were saying, look, 
we have been through a really hellish year. And I think we all recognize, especially as parents, to say, I mean, if you didn't really appreciate what your child's teacher was doing before, you really appreciate it now, I hope, because they have just put it out there um, in every possible way. And the feedback we got from them was we are exhausted and we need some some help with our social and emotional state right now. And so that that was really important. The second part of it, um, our other focus area is it. The second focus area is um, foster care. Um, I'm really connected to this through some friends that have been foster parents, and I have seen it through their eyes and the and the sacrifices they're making, and and just wondered how we can participate in this space in a meaningful way to to shine a spotlight on on what these families are doing, what these children are going through, and especially kids. And we're, again, we have another guest that's coming on to talk about this and an organization that we're working really closely with. So, uh, and then the third one, my background is special education and I just connect so much with our kids with disabilities. And through this initiative, we are partnering with Special Olympics Utah to provide sports opportunities, unified sports for kids at schools. This is where kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities come together and and participate in these sports together. And again, that fosters that empathy, that fosters that connection. That's getting proximate. Kids are learning how to connect with people that maybe have a different life story than they do. Um, and then the last one is service. Throughout our campaign for governor, we we went around the entire state doing service. And um, it was really, really meaningful and just something that brought communities together. It was just beautiful the way it worked. And we want to continue to do that. We don't want to stop. We want to make sure that we are out there doing service. And we're going to do it with the governor's office, with senior staff and cabinet members, and and do them in places where... Um, in these focus areas as well. So, and you know, we've spent a lot of time making sure that this all of these areas have qualitative as well as quantitative measures, right? Making sure that what we're doing out in the community um, in these four focus areas is making an impact. And I think we'll get to the point where we share that later on. But one of the things that I'm really loving about sort of coming into our own now with with this show up initiative is that we're realizing really quickly that the goodness of people is what's going to make all of this happen. And, and so I and I think it would be fun to talk about for just a second here, too. One of the ways that we're going to be doing that is through this idea of a women's collaborative, an, an organization of women that the first lady is pulling together um, different women throughout the state. You want to talk about what you're going to be doing in that space as well? It's kind of it's kind of like focus area five, but the, <laughs> but the help with all everything, and we help them with their stuff too, right? Yeah, it's you know this idea came from one of our guests that's going to be on here today, um, Melissa Hart, and this she kind of kept this list of just really influential women in the state that she just kind of added to. And we kind of had our list of women Mm -hmm. that we just, we call on, we think about when we, when we're thinking of big projects and, um, it was so fun to sort of combine those lists and add to it. And as we met people from around the state, add those people that we were just feel are just so impactful, um, in throughout the state. And so, and it's not, 
I mean, some people are really big, have big titles and are, you know, really important, you know, in quotes, but they, but there's people that are just women that are doing incredible things in their, in their communities that nobody really knows about outside of their little community. And they are powerful and we want them to be a part of this. So it's this collection of women who we are calling upon to um, help us with projects, uh, help us with our SEL initiatives, help us um, in, in the foster care space. But then we're also call it, asking them to call on us to spotlight what they're doing as well and how we can help and bring a voice and a, a bigger spotlight to what they're doing. So it's it's a really uh, I don't know that it's ever been done before. Like um, and I just love the idea of just women doing powerful things in the state for good. And you can't say that that's not, wait for it, exciting. (laughs) It really is. Well, I am so ready to get these guests in here um, waiting out in the hallway right now because we're being very good. And for you to get to kind of deep dive into each of these focus areas a little bit more. um, And I'll get to listen to it after the fact. So, So here we go. Okay, we'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are back in this really deep dive episode on First Lady initiatives um, that we're launching, um, that we'll have launched <laughs> after this this episode. Um, so we are here with Melissa Hart. She's become a very dear friend to me, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She is in the space of foster care. Um, Melissa, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how you got here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. I've loved getting to know you and working with you on this. Um, I actually started in this space a couple of years ago. I was invited to an event where the founder of America's Kids Belong was presenting about this issue. And I've been in the social impact space for about 10 years and just really hadn't heard a lot about this issue. And, you know, he was talking about the facts and the figures that were extremely compelling. I mean, it's a really big issue in the United States. And and I was you know, very interested in all that. But it was when he showed us a compilation video. So something America's Kids Belong does is they create these beautiful videos where they go in and talk to the kids who are actually experiencing this issue. And he had a compilation videos of these kids. And I'm watching it, and these kids are 8 years old, 12, 14. There was an 18-year-old boy that was signing in the video. And they were all saying the same thing, that they just wanted 
someone to adopt and they wanted to belong in a family. And I immediately saw my kids are those ages, they're nine and 11. And I saw my children. And I thought, what if I watched a video of my own child who was saying, I just wow. want to belong in a family? And it just got me right to the core and I just couldn't unsee it. And so when they asked if I would come and help them here in the state, I just couldn't say no. And I've, I've loved every minute of it really because the the core of it really is this sense of belonging that we all want to belong, but these kids really want to belong and they've been through quite a lot. Yeah. these. So talk about a little bit um... – America's Kids Belong is an organization, obviously a nonprofit organization that's a national organization, but they have um, branches or what would you call it in mm-hmm. in, in different states and, and Utah's one of them. And tell us about, do you remember when we first met? I do. I loved it. <laughs> we were in your fun campaign office. <laughs> that's right. It was even before um, before we got sworn in. I think it was after the election, but you guys, your organization, America's Kids Belong, approached us about, you know, maybe making this uh, an initiative for us um, as governor and first lady as we go forward. Um, and I, it really touched me at the moment because it was so interesting. It was, it was just one of those things that came together that was kind of a beautiful moment where I had just read a couple of books on foster care, just kind of randomly. But also I have two really dear friends who had fostered um, one. She had adopted five kids at one time, a whole sibling group. Um, And then she was even currently she's continuing to foster kids. I have another friend who adopted three infants not at the same time one infant and then two at the same time um identical twin baby girls through foster care and so i just kind of saw that and then you came to us <laughs> and i thought this is coming together this is meant to be we are definitely supposed to get involved here so tell us a little bit more about specifically about um, America's kids belong, Utah's kids belong, and th- these the waiting kids and what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so America's kids belong is in twelve different states around the United States, and we're you know doing different work in each of the states. We really try and tailor it to the state that we're in and the needs of that state. And so here in Utah, we've come in, and there's so many great organizations on the ground here, and so. Our goal really is to help build these care communities here in the state of Utah to really pull our business groups, our faith groups, our our community groups, our nonprofits to bring everyone together around a common goal of saying that we want to see these these kids, these youth and their families, the kinship families who are stepping in to help with their next of kin who have a need. And then these children who you have gone through this this foster care process and have had their parental rights ended and and they're not able to go back to their mom and dad. And, you know, they're these kids who are pretty vulnerable and they're waiting um, to belong to a family. And so, um, you know, we've got these governor's campaigns in other states. And so we, like you said, we approached you last fall and it was great because we'd actually sent you a video of um, some of the kids that we had filmed in this state. And I remember your husband at the time, then governor, uh, lieutenant governor at the time, had said, I'm watching this video and 
these boys are fishing. And we had set up the video shoot at this person's home who had a little fishing pond. And your husband said, I just can't imagine. That's what I do with my boys. I can't imagine my boys not having a dad that takes them fishing. Yeah, It just really touched him. And, you know, watching the videos, when you start to see these kids, they have these incredible personalities. They have so much to add to society. They're they're amazing. And when you start to get really close to them, when you get that proximity, you you naturally want to help them and you naturally want to get involved. And so something that we like to do and that we're hoping to do here in Utah really is to get everyone excited about doing something. Not everyone will foster and adopt, um, and that's okay, but everyone can do something. And so we're hoping to find ways that we can identify each group and say, here's something that we would love to see you do. If you're a business owner, we would love it if you would get on our, our foster-friendly app and give discounts to these families who are putting in this hard work. If you're a neighbor to someone who's fostering, go over and mow their grass or take them a meal. Ask them how they're doing. Um, See if they need anything. Learn how to do respite care. Sign up to do respite care. I'd be able to go in and actually help help the family to help the parents take a break. If you're in a faith community, your church can host foster parent night out. Uh, They can watch the videos of these kids as a group. Um, it's kind of a fireside chat together and talk about different ways that you could potentially mentor the children um, and help them get connected into your community. Uh, there's lots of different ways that people can get involved, and we're hoping that as an organization that we can come in, really highlight the good work that's already being done on the ground, um, and then just bring more people in and, and help kind of push this big boulder up the hill. I love that so much. We, um, a few, maybe a month or so ago, had um, a meeting where we brought all we we brought a whole bunch of foster care organizations, faith based organizations, nonprofit, as well as our state organizations. And I thought that was a really powerful meeting because I think sometimes we we all maybe work in a space and aren't sure how. We connect together. And I thought that was a really cool time to share data, to share, hey, I'm doing this. So maybe we can connect in this area. Would it, what would, would you say that was a pretty powerful meeting? Incredible. Yeah. Cause we are just stronger together. And so, you know, oftentimes we get into our silos. Um, we forget that, you know, there's another organization that's doing an incredible job. And if we combined our resources, if we, helped and pushed together, we could do more if we worked together. And it was great. It was amazing to find out, you know, to look at the numbers and say, we have just as many uh, kinship families as we do foster families. Yeah. And and grand families. Mm-hmm. We, we learned about grand families that day yeah. where grandparents, and I've seen that in our community in, in San Pete, um, where grandparents, and we see it, you know, after the opioid um, ap- ac- epidemic, sorry, um, where we've had parents who have struggled with these addictions and grandparents are picking up the slack, but don't have the resources that say a foster family would be getting, um, be, even though they're taking care of kids that, that need, that need the help. So, um, I talk about this idea of getting how foster care we can get upstream. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I was talking to a friend the other day and, and she was saying, you know, 
if I was going to get behind any social cause, I would get behind trafficking. That's just that. Yeah. For some reason, that just speaks to me. And I said, you know, what's really interesting is when we really get in there and we help these children who are experiencing foster care, we're getting upstream to about 10 social ills. Mm-hmm. What happens is, you know, these kids go through a lot through absolutely no fault of their own. And the goal of foster care is reunification. I mean, we're there and our goal as a community should be to help these children and their parents to help them stay together. You know, they've been through a lot. They're struggling and they need our help. Yeah, and the tra- we know based on all the research that the trauma of removal is it, it's huge. It's huge and and so if we can support those families in our community um with so that that removal doesn't have to happen, I think that's that's big. That's a big mm-hmm. goal. Yeah. So the first goal is always to keep those families together. I mean, these families are going through a lot. Um they're not awful people. They're not evil. They're they're going through a hard time. They've probably been through trauma. These parents have been through trauma. These kids have been through a lot. And they need our support. They need us to rally around them. And as they're working on that, you know, they either go into, like you're saying, a kinship placement. So they're going to somebody who's a family member or friend, or they're going to a foster family. And during that time, you know, the opportunity is to really rally around that child and around their families. And, but again, that, you know, they've been through quite a bit. And so it's really important that as we're joining into this cause, that we're making sure that we're trauma aware, that we're getting trauma training done. Um, that's one of the resources that our organization can do, um, as well as Raise the Future and Utah Foster Care all um, have these great trauma training resources uh, to help people really understand that these are brilliant and amazing kids and they've had some really hard things happen to them. And when we respond from a place of empathy and understanding trauma, we can really help them know that they're loved and that they belong, that that they're accepted as they are. And when we do that, that's we create these really great outcomes. There are groups of these children where their parents aren't able to have them come back home. And the state, you know, the court system decides that their rights are legally terminated and they're not going back to mom and dad. And in Utah last year, we had 123 of these children who had their parental rights terminated and they waited in the system and they waited for someone to adopt them and no one did. Um, A lot of times it's because of our issues that we have, you know, saying, oh, I don't want a teen. I want a child who's under the age of five or I want a baby. These teens are incredible. We work with them every month, you know, Race the Future is working with them. Every day, their their connections advocates are mentoring them, trying to find families for them. And when families don't step forward, they age out of the system. And DCFS does an incredible job. They have these transition to adult living coordinators who work tirelessly to help them get ready to become an adult. Um, But I don't know about you. When I was 14, 15, 18, even 21 in the state of Utah, they're allowed to stay in the system until they're 21. I wasn't ready to be a grown-up. And, you know, you're never too old for a family. Well, yeah, and and the stories that I've heard from these kids is like, look, even though, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, you know, and, and maybe you're you're living in an apartment, maybe you're, you're kind of on your own. What happens on Thanksgiving? Yeah. What happens at Christmas? What happens when it's your birthday? I mean, can you imagine? Like, I guess when I put myself in that position, I think how terribly lonely – and 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 you don't have that sense of a place to belong. I just I think every 
every person should should have that sense of belonging like you talked about. Um, and, and I think this idea is, is so Utah-centric. I think it's such a beautiful idea. We, we care about our communities. We care about people. And I love the idea of connecting with a family. So say I'm not in a position to adopt, but I certainly, you know, like my friends, I always say I felt like a terrible friend once I figured out, like, I should have been doing more for my friend that adopted five kids at once. I should have been asking, you know, can I come mow your lawn? Can I take your your older kids for a while? Or can I run somebody to soccer practice? Or can I, you know, I, I had them in our, in our church group and I, you know, I interacted with the kids there. They were beautiful and wonderful and um, I just think as Utahns, that's that's kind of what we're about. So mm-hmm. I think it was this fits so well with what we're what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible state, and already so many people have stepped forward and have said, "I care about this issue. I want all of the children in whatever you know position that they're in along that spectrum of whether you know they're just here for." you know, a momentary time while their parents are figuring some things out or whether their parental rights have been terminated, uh, that there's a lot of families who have said, you know, I want to help. What can I do to help? And there's so many great things that people can do. Uh, You know, for example, people can go on to Utah Kids Belong social media and you can watch videos of these kids who are our kids. These are our kids in our state. Um, As you were saying, you know, one of our our youth just told us in December, "I, I want a mom that when I have a hard day at work, I can call her and tell her about my hard day. And she'll say, come over and I'll make you your favorite curry dinner. That's oh what gosh. he wanted, right? And he's 18. He's getting really close to not having that. And something that we're working on is having mentors for these kids so that if they don't get adopted, they at least have that great, consistent adult in their life. They have that person that they can call at 2 in the morning who's willing to just go through the trenches with them. Yeah. Our founder, um, Brian Mavis, and his wife, Julie, they're great examples of this, uh, where they they took a young man into their home. Uh, I think he was about 21 or 22. And, you know, they figured out he was homeless, and he, but he loves cooking. And so he started up a spice business. So if you go on America Kids Belong's website, you can see in the shop section, you can buy Jacan spices. And they, he sold so many spices now that he was able to get his own apartment and he's independently living now. So cool. And it was, it was just the love that Brian and Julie had to say, you know, come live with us. We'll be that mentor for you. We'll, we'll help you figure out you know, your job applications and we'll help you figure out how to save money so you can get a place on your own. That's really what this population needs. And, and we can all do that. That's something that I I know that Utah can really get behind. Um, We also have a real need for families that are willing to step forward to take these older teens. Uh, We need people who are willing to take sibling groups that are willing to keep these siblings together. I can't imagine going through what these children have gone through and then having to watch one sibling go to one house and you go to another house. Yeah. Talk about belonging. I mean, gosh, yeah. When you, when you're split up and the the trauma is even more compounded Mm -hmm. um, for these kids that get split from their siblings. Yeah. Um, I love this idea of caring communities. Um, You know, again, maybe you're not the one that adopts, but, but um, I think Utah is just, absolutely set up 
um, our people, our, our volunteering spirit, our empathy. I think we are just designed for something like this to be able to, to, um, connect. Even if I'm not the family that adopts, can I be part of that adoptive family's caring community who, who helps to take care of them? So I, I absolutely love that. And then I, so it, if you if you haven't seen, you know, this this episode's gonna drop after our launch. But our on and hopefully you've seen some of the media surrounding our launch. But we put, are putting together um kits for all fifteen hundred of our foster and kinship families throughout the state. And do you wanna tell us a little bit about these kits and what what's in them? Yeah, so we're super excited to launch with this because we know that these kinship families and these foster families do so much. And so we've gotten together with um, DCFS, the Department of Child and Family Services, Utah Foster Care, Raise the Future, and Utah Kids Belong have all banded together with grand families um, to create to reach out to our communities and ask them to give donations. And people have just been incredibly generous. We've had businesses calling and saying, we'll give you 1,500 gift cards. We just had three pallets of puzzles delivered today to raise the future's so office. Cool. And she sent me a picture and her office is just filled with puzzles. Um, and we're getting 1,500 water bottles that will go into the kit. And then we're reaching out to companies to you know, ask about discounts at car washes and you know, house cleaning services and meal um, passes for, you know, those meal service groups that come in and and send you a meal that's already pre-done. And, you know, Paul Mitchell has been so generous and offered to do free haircuts for these families. So many of our businesses have really stepped forward and said, you know, I'm in and I want to help. I'll give you a discount on a pass to, to my location. So having that business support is huge. A lot of these families are unable to take these kids to include them in, you know, karate classes or ballet classes or to do swim team, you know, because the costs are significant. Yeah. And so the more that we can have businesses stepping forward and saying, I'm going to help you with that. I see what you're doing and I, I want to be there. That's important. We have so many faith communities that are able to reach out and bring meals and, and love their neighbors that are around them and to really include them. And then just that individual caring of, of individuals that you're saying, you know, these care communities where people are aware of who's around and are, are sharing that, that willingness to see the work that they're doing and to thank them. And so that's really in the spirit of the kit is that we hope that families open these up and they feel the love of the people around the state that so many people, when we asked them if they would give, were willing to give. So we're hoping that it's just a little, it's a little drop in the bucket, but we're hoping that it sets in motion a larger movement where we really as a state see these families and these kids and really get get around them. I love that. I, I want to wrap around with service, but wrap around with love and belonging um, as well. So next month in May, it will be National Foster Care Awareness Month. Um, and so we just we want to make sure we shine a big spotlight on what our fa- foster families, our kinship families, our um, our waiting children. We want to f- shine a huge spotlight on them and the people that are doing amazing work in this space to help these children. And and if you find it in your heart, if there's a place in your home for one of these waiting children, if there's 
something that you can contribute in this space, you know, please reach out. We are, we will have a website up and going. Um, there will be places to make sure that you can connect with us um, if you feel like this is something you can get in and contribute in a, in a really powerful way. So, Melissa, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Um, we have just absolutely loved having you. Uh, we'll be right back. We are here with um, Carla Beddingfield. She is the adaptive PE teacher for Wasatch District. Carla, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so um, honored that you would have me here, be here with you today. Well, I am honored because you are doing just amazing work from what I understand. And we are talking about the focus area for First Lady Initiatives um, in the area of unified sports. Mm-hmm. And you are the unified sports guru from what I understand. And wow. so tell us a little <laughs> bit more. We, we talked a little bit about unified sports and this idea of kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities coming together and playing on these teams together. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit more about uh, unified sports as as you see it. So with unified sports, I love it that it gives an opportunity for kids with intellectual and physical disabilities to feel like they are like their peers, that they get to do the same sports as everybody else and have a tournaments and medals. And I have some students that come into our uh, SPED class that come and shine off the Every day, you didn't clean off our trophies. They're looking to, <laughs> like, it's that. Like, they create, have this ownership, and they love it. Not just those the athletes, but these peers, too. That together, it's these bonding of friendships, and it's years' worth of friendships. Like, they'll be in the halls just high-fiving each other, and that's what I love to see. It's those inclusion together, and it's building up their own self-worth, both sides. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, We talked about like our initiatives. We have several focus areas, but this idea of empathy and connection Mm -hmm. um, is just one that we want to see weaved through all of the things that we're doing. So unified sports is just a huge, huge part of that. Tell me how how you got started. I mean, my my education background is special education. Mm -hmm. So obviously, this is an area that I feel so passionate about. Um, So tell me how you got into unified sports, got into what you're doing right now. So um, I started... Oh, within the district, probably about five or six years ago doing PE Um, and then had some kids along the way. And I came back just as a paraprofessional helping with the um, physical therapist, occupational therapist for these kids with special needs. Okay. And as I started to notice as I'm in helping with these gross motor skills, because my background is exercise science. Okay. And. I'm seeing this disparity within our own district of these kids as they, as I sometimes will push in and help, let's say in a PE class, noticing that they don't are always being included at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, we need to make some changes. So I basically um, kind of fought for my job to say, we really need this. We need some more adaptive um, experience an adaptive PE program. And it took me two years. I finally convinced my uh, 
district administrator and our school board that, yeah, this is really important. And they were on board. I pleaded my case. They're like, yes. And for these past three years, it has been phenomenal to see how with this adaptive PE program and unified PE. And one thing that's been great, just a side note with Special Olympics, is that they have been a great advocate and help for me being rural all by myself, starting this whole program. Courtney Worthen is phenomenal. She's, She's great. been so helpful and helping me get key players. Anyway, from teaching these kids within unified PE and adaptive PE, these skills, fundamental sports skills, the strategy of how to play a sport, and then to progress that into a competition unified sport. And these kids like feel confident in their ability to do it. And when we're doing PE with their peers, all these peers are like, I want to come. I want to come. I love that I want to so be much. part of this. I mean, we just got this morning just done with the unified track meet down in Orem and had several schools from Utah County come. They invited us to come and both peers and athletes. It was like everybody <laughs> smiling face like no one left that meet. Even though we were drowned rats soaking <laughs> was, wet today. It's a lot of rain today. Everyone was happy and they felt like we did something worth. They were part of something and that is has its weight in gold, just seeing that. That is amazing. You touched on this idea of belonging. We were talking earlier with Melissa Hart in, in this foster care space. But this idea of belonging is so incredible. Can you can you sort of talk about what what unified sports does for for children with and without disabilities as far as like this sense of belonging? For sure. I'm going to give you a couple examples. One example is um, I had one student who just started this year within we just finished up a basketball and this was the first time she was. Um, part of it. And I kept asking her, just come play, just come see how it is, even just come to the practice. So she practiced, we had our tournaments and afterwards she came up and said, this is the first time I have ever got a medal and that my parents got to see me be part of something like, and her parents were just beaming. So that belonging that she was part of something rather than just coming into school, going into the sped room for classes and then going home. No, she was part of a school wide community and she wow. felt it. Um, and that in itself was fantastic. We also have peers who are struggling maybe with their own self worth. Maybe some have anxiety, depression, had students that when they are coming and participating, those um, things that weigh them down don't weigh them down. They are having purpose. They are having meaning. And as they're playing together, and it's not like they're helping. They're just playing together. Yeah. Those togetherness and seeing that this student over here in a wheelchair is, if he can do it or she can do it, I can do this. And together we make a great team. That being something, a part of something means a huge amount to both sides on the athlete side and the peer side. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. This is just so speaking to my heart. (laughs) Um, I, I think you, you just talked about something that, that is so critical 
um, in all that we're doing, all that we're trying to do with our initiatives. But this this idea of getting proximate Mm-hmm. to somebody that's different from you what what experiences what other experiences have you seen with peers that get proximate to maybe somebody they they didn't know they could have a friendship with yeah it's kind of scary sometimes right yeah when you see someone in a wheelchair or someone that is nonverbal and you're not quite sure how to interact with that i feel like within sports it's kind of a universal language yeah because you don't need to really be speaking a language but as you start to interact and that little, everyone has this little competition edge, you know, about them. We all do. <laughs> we, we all are a little competitive yeah, at heart. <laughs> and, and that's what's so great that when we start to see that um, as I start to interact and with, let's say, a student who's nonverbal in a wheelchair, as they start to see me and in that example of someone who is comfortable being there. So when that peer starts to watch me and I've started, it starts to break down those walls. Of, oh, this kid actually really likes this music. Or as they start to just slowly get used to seeing and being around them, that's what it is like. Just just be proximate. Just come sit and watch for a little bit. If you're a little afraid, be in the stands and cheer us on. That's where it first starts. And I think that's where we got a lot of our peers. A lot of times is when we finish our basketball, some students in the stands like, I want to do soccer now. I want to be do track. Like they've not participated before, but just seeing in the stands, like how other peers interacted with them, how other people interacted with people with these intellectual or physical disabilities that they're human beings, just like we are. They have just as much value as someone else without a disability. And when they see that those walls start to come down, but it's, just takes a little bit of time. Don't be afraid because I feel like these, these kids are the most forgiving and the most accepting Mm -hmm. of other people that you might not know quite how to do it, but even just sitting there being with them, just kind of talking. Yeah. They don't care. They are the most accepting and loving people and they will love you for just being you. And you feel that when you leave and walk away, you feel like, oh my gosh, I am really important. And they made me feel that way. Like you never thought that was possible, but they literally do. I go home every day thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to do this today. I got to play games all day long (laughs) and I got paid for it. And it was awesome. And these kids made me feel like I was the best thing in the whole wide world. And I thought, how is that possible? Yeah. So, Oh my gosh, I love that so much. So as as we talk about what we want to do in this area um, as an initiative, we we're talking about you're you're doing this. You're so you're doing track. We do track and, and soccer, soccer and basketball, and basketball yeah. which is amazing because mm-hmm. I know that basketball, we're just trying to get started in basketball for some of these places. So tell me um, how much. What does it take to have unified sports in your school? Um, first, I think it takes a little bit of a desire right. to okay. saying, okay, I would like to include these students. The si- next is contacting Special Olympics. Okay. Like, go right onto their website. And that's when I first started is I just started asking around and even Googling. I knew Special Olympics because it's yeah. that name in itself carries a lot of weight. So as I'm like, well, I'm going to go to them to see what I can do. And our school, 
um, our high school, they are sped group, Sammy Graham, fantastic. She started probably with the sports 2014, I think. Oh, wow. So it was okay. just like a small group okay. that they came to our school and said, in your high school, can we just kind of start track or soccer? Can you help get a group together? Okay. So I would go to Special Olympics Utah website and give Courtney Worthen a call. Okay. She's your gal. And she has been, I think, um, a complete advocate to help me and guide me to other di- other schools. Um, and especially being kind of rural, yeah. I felt like I know that there's a lot of other teachers in the whole state of Utah that have a need. Yeah. Guaranteed they see this. And you don't have to be a perfect coach or know how to play these things. <laughs> One thing I love about Special Olympics is that they offer those trainings for you. If you don't yeah. know, they can teach you. It's yeah. so great. They can help put you in the right places with the right people and guide you. They have curriculums. If you're not quite sure how to set it up, they can help guide you. But then they also give you the freedom of integrating it to making it personalized to your school. That's what I love. Give Courtney a call. She can help you. Give me a call. I mean, just email anytime. Call. I'm so willing and happy to give advice. Not that I have much to give. (laughs) You do, obviously. No, it's amazing. I I love it. I have this huge, um, I guess, desire that these kids really have so much to offer to yeah. all of us. Yeah. And at a time when things feel a little crazy yeah. um, and we want to be united, be part of it. Serve. That's how you feel purpose. That's how you will feel. And I think this unified sports, unified PE and being a champion school is, I think that will help our communities, I believe, in bringing us together on all levels. I think you're absolutely right. It's one of the reasons that we've gotten involved. And so basically what we want to do is expand. We hope that every school in the state has a unified sports program. And so we're going to try to make sure we're working with uh, Special Olympics. We're working with Courtney Mm -hmm. and we are trying to push this out. So having you as an advocate and, and a mentor is going to be amazing. So we're we're so excited. So are we. So so if so you know we're we're getting this going and we're looking at other schools. What what would you say to a school that says I I'm curious. I think I want this in my in our school or if you have parents that say, "Hey, um I'm ready to to be an advocate for this for my child in in our school." Um what what would you say is the first step? So I think the first step is if, even if you are not an adaptive PE teacher in your school, if it's just not in your districts, within a parent or a PE teacher, start out with one sport. Mm-hmm. Say it be soccer. I mean, try it. We want more schools to play against. Yeah. Like, yeah. We in Heber, we want to play people that are. So, where do you go? So, where, who do you, so you talked about you just did a track meet in Orem. So, is, so you're taking how many kids and how far to, to, to compete? So, we're taking probably about 20 kids 
give or take. And we're always coming either into uh, Utah County or Salt Lake County. Okay. Um, we have like a soccer t- tournament, little tournament with Tooele next week. Okay. So we're just kind of like trying to work with Courtney to say, who has this and who can we call to then play against? Because okay. we all want to play. Yeah. And we want to play a lot more so we can all get better. Um, and COVID's been a little different, so we're limited in how often we play. Okay. But as as a PE teacher in your high schools or middle schools, please, like, yeah, call, call. Yeah. Well, and reach out to us. We'll, we'll have stuff on our mm-hmm. website as well because we this is this is a an area we're going to get deeply involved in. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to plan some really um, exciting. Um, sports experiences uh-huh. uh, unified sports experiences so tell us about have you have you participated in some of these um experiences with the have we, we want we want to get like RSL involved and stuff like have you done some of those so we have not partnered with the big things we do partner some things with the National Ability Center okay um in Park City and we have our community kind of a parent group that's formed where our community fundraises so that our students can participate in things up at the National Ability Center. Um, we would love, and that's where we're starting. I'm like, I'm at this little baby stage and I want to just keep going, working with other um, people in our, and businesses just within Wasatch County have been huge where we'll call and say, hey, would you be willing to help donate, help us to get so that we can do these activities and these sports to travel from here or there. And they do. They happen. Because as we start to say, this is what it's about, they're all on board 100%. So, yes, call Special Olympics. Courtney will send you the paperwork to at least just start with sports. Start with one sport. That's my first thing is. And you don't have to have a ton of kids. Five. Even if you have five kids and five peers. Just to make a, a basketball team or a soccer team, like just okay. start that way. I love it, and we have some really um, fun things to announce that will be coming up because we are going to have some really cool partners yeah. uh, in this space, and we have some things coming up in the fall that we will announce um, in a few months. But we're we are ready to participate in this. This is, Carla, thank you so much because this, again, this is where my heart is. But as you, as you're, as we see your passion for this, we see the connection and the empathy and it's for all kids and it's for all adults that is, this is going to bring us together in really powerful ways. So thank Thank you, you. Carla. Thank you. We'll be right back. We are here now with John Arthur. John, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. John, I we met for the first time a few weeks ago and we were like insanely impressed with you and um just really felt inspired by by the things that you shared with us. Um we're talking about our initiatives and the most powerful thing I think we can focus on in the state right now is our social and emotional learning. Um so tell me a little bit about, first of all, I want you to let me, let me like give the preface <laughs> that John Arthur is our current 2021 teacher of the year for Utah, which is 
insane for for all the things that the teachers did this year and we have so much appreciation we should always have appreciation but this year you guys have had i've said you've been through hell and that's probably putting it mildly um so and then tell me about your your other major award that's that that you're in the running for yeah i am a finalist for the national teacher of the year um one of four and I'm the first finalist from Utah since 1979, which is criminal. But uh, I'm, I'm proud to have that distinction. And tell us a little bit about you and where how you got started in education and where yeah. you are currently. I had an incredible ninth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Kathy Anderson at Butler Middle School. And she taught me Model United Nations, which was Fantastic. It was like make-believe for nerds. I got to <laughs> pretend to be the, the representative from the African nation of Djibouti. And, and I learned consensus and compromise. I learned how to defend a position, whether it was mine or not. I learned to see uh, that I could argue both sides of any uh, conversation or conflict and that there is right in almost every position that you're going to come across. And I I – I broke my mother's heart. She wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I, at one point, had a conversation with Mrs. Anderson, and she told me that I'd be a great teacher. And wow. and that always stuck with me. And so I eventually went uh, and got my master's degree in teaching from Westminster College. And I started teaching at Metal Arc Elementary in Salt Lake City on the west side. And I've been there ever since for eight years now. Wow. That's incredible. That's a that's a cool journey. Um and we need people like you in education, and um, we're we're just thrilled that you would you would share your time with us. I know how how valuable it is. But let's dig into this idea of social and emotional learning. You talked a yes. little bit about seeing the other side of something, which mm-hmm. I think is really part of it and really powerful. But tell me what you're seeing in your students, and tell me what you're seeing in your teachers, in the teachers, your your colleagues, and what's going on with social and emotional learning. Yeah, this year is more difficult, obviously, than any year we've ever had. But times have always been tough for for kids and teachers in school and just in life. And when it comes to seeing things from another perspective, that's exactly what social-emotional learning is all about. Teachers have been doing this for forever. It just wasn't always called social-emotional learning (laughs) or SEL. Anytime a kid got sent to the principal's office or had to go into the hallway for a conversation with their teacher. That was social-emotional learning. Something had happened that had triggered a student, put them into a situation that was difficult that they didn't fully understand how to handle, and a teacher or a principal or some other trusted adult had a conversation with them to try to help them process their emotions, find healthier uh, solutions to their problems. And now that we've all been put in this place where maybe only a percentage of us have had COVID-19, but 100% of us have in some way been traumatized by this last year. We've all hopefully started to acknowledge the fact that we need strategic, structured uh, lessons and guidance in how to be healthier, not just physically, but emotionally and socially in our interactions with each other, especially now that kids spent so much time at home on a computer screen, and now they're getting put back in the classrooms, or maybe they've been in the classroom all year long, but with these structures of distance and space. Yeah. And, you know, now that they're starting to 
you know, play a little bit harder. The weather's getting warmer. They're having to relearn how to be appropriate with their distance and their contact. <laughs> and they just, you know, they're kids. They just want to be close and they yeah. want to, they want to have fun. And, and all of us are trying to remember how to instruct them in that while also at the same time harboring these, these nostalgic feelings as adults. And I see children playing on the playground and I've never been happier yeah. to see children at play in my entire <laughs> life. It, 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 it's, it's medicine for our souls yeah. and remembering how to take our medicine the way that it should in proper doses. We're all working on that right now. Yeah, for sure. So do you see, um, you talked about, um, seeing kids trying to adapt to a new way. Do you, do you see the trauma do you see extra trauma happening at home? Do you see more of a need for teaching um, emotional intelligence to children? And, and how do you see that happening at your school? Yeah. In, in education, we have this phrase, adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. And without going too deeply into it, it just recognizes that there are different types of traumas. That, that children and adults both carry and will experience. And that will affect how they learn in a classroom. And we've always been – not always, but we've received trainings on this in the past prior to the pandemic. So a lot of us have, have built that into our practice as as educators. But you're seeing it differently now because through the computer screen, I have a window into a, a kid's home. I can yeah. see signs of of not awesome things. I also see signs of beautiful families taking the most incredible care of each other. I've watched my students doing uh, ratios while bouncing a baby on their knee. You know, <laughs> it, there's there's good and bad, but we've definitely seen bad too. Yeah. And and again, talking about empathy, trying to recognize that nobody wants to to fail or do poorly in their role as a child, as a parent, as a partner. And and everyone's doing the best that they can, but everyone's going through tough times. And recognizing that part of my responsibility, if I want a kid to perform well academically, healthy, happy children learn better. And so as part of my job, I need to try to help my students be as healthy and happy as possible. It would be great if we could all just say, I've got two little girls at home. I will take full responsibility of teaching them how to be healthy and happy. I'll teach them all the social skills they need. I'm going to build their emotional intelligence. But they're going to run into situations in the real world, and especially at daycare or at school, that I can't possibly prepare them for because it's yeah. unpredictable. That's where I need to fall back and rely on my, my, my village, my community of trusted adults and know that I'm sending my kids to a place where when a, a situation arises – that's tough socially, there's going to be an adult there to help hopefully, you know, be proactive with their social emotional teaching rather than reactive. They will have already taught lessons on how to negotiate difficult situations or process your feelings when the heat is on. But also if if things go poorly, that there will be an adult there to comfort my child, to teach them a lesson from that situation that will help them either deal with it better in the future or avoid it altogether. Um, 
I, 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 again, I see it from both sides. I'm a parent and yeah. I'm a teacher and I recognize that this is on all of us to take care of our kids and teach them these lessons. I love that, and especially because you're teaching in an elementary school, mm-hmm. so so learning those those in, emotional intelligence skills early on yeah. is, is really powerful. So that you know, we, we talk about this idea of getting upstream of some of these problems. Yes, and 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 as an elementary school teacher, that's really where some of this critical learning where their where their brains are still very malleable. Yes, <laughs> you can you can really instill some of these skills. You know, I know even my son who. A few years ago, went through some some anxiety, and I, as a parent, you know, hadn't really dealt with it myself, and I didn't know how to help him. And and you know, getting him that help and actually teaching those skills, mm-hmm. I was able to learn so that you know, as the next kid comes along, I can yeah. I can be and for myself someday. You know, you talk about that a little bit. Um, we had this conversation where we said we we're trying to figure out how to teach you know teach kids these skills and the the group of teachers that you were that you were with that yeah. was, that we talked to was they were saying hey we're kind of a, in a really critical like time for us right now where yes. we're struggling talk yeah. a little bit about that well again there are adults in a schoolhouse and there are kids in a schoolhouse and you know to your point you know, Frederick Douglass said it is much easier to build strong children than repair broken men, yeah. right? And so it's a it's a we it's a worthy investment. The return on the investment that we put into our children and teaching them how to uh, be more socially capable and emotionally strong pays off in the long run for all of us. But at the same time, we teachers and every adult in society is dealing with something that no one's ever seen and there's no playbook for. And we have to recognize that we've all been affected by it. And as things start to slow down, I think some of us are starting to process the fact that, holy cow, I've been in survival mode for a long time now. And now I'm, I'm starting to release some of these these muscles that I've kept clenched for so long and I'm feeling <laughs> stuff that I I just was not allowing myself to feel until now. Yeah. And and we need to recognize that as we're trying to build stronger schools, that means building that SEL, that social emotional learning in our students, but providing professional development, professional learning for our teachers so they can build it in themselves. Yeah. Healthy people can teach kids to be healthy, but unhealthy adults are going to have a really hard time of doing that. I love that. I love that. And we really need to focus on our teachers. Um, John, thank you so much. You are an incredible example of what it means to really put your heart and soul in, into education into, and really love your students. And um, I know all our teachers feel that. I, we have teach just the most incredible teachers throughout the state. I hope we can... Um, continue to put investments in that space. And from my perspective, we are going to put some huge investments in the social and emotional learning for our teachers as well as our students. So thank you so much, John, for being here with us today. And um, we really appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. And now we'd like to have introductions to my dear friend, Sarah Allred. She is here talking about our fourth area of um, our focus area for our initiatives. And Sarah, you were the campaign aficionado for... (laughs) 
<laughs> for our service project tour around Crazy this tour. <laughs> It was wonderful. Oh my gosh, we we you know we were talking about it actually earlier today, Spencer and I, and it was like it's kind of that sort of frat house, oh, yeah, <laughs> sorority house. Yes, it felt like Cre- summer camp, like when you come home from summer camp and like <laughs> you sing the songs, and <laughs> you have all the inside jokes. Yes. Yes. You've offended everyone. It's the best. You it's please the best. bless that nobody um, was recording anything. <laughs> anything on that RV stays on that RV. <laughs> but we want to talk about the service stuff that we did, the service projects that we did. Um, tell me, just this is going to be a part of everything we do. It's going to be a part of all the initiatives that we do. But tell me a little bit about maybe some of this, your favorite service projects that we did as as we traveled around the state. Hey. Oh, there were so many good ones. I think my very favorite one that I participated in was in Hillville. And building that, we built a fence out of rock in a, in a public park. And the people in Hillville were amazing. And I yeah. really hope you get some the, the mayor down there on your podcast. I that she she's, is, she's on our list. She is one of my favorite people, and it was wonderful because what they they she brought together a group of people that had been through some real trying times. And when you're out working in the sun together, you just you relate with each other in a way you don't sitting in a room and just talking. I think when you're when you're digging and you're lifting and you're sweaty, you just connect with people in a different way than you ever would. And I loved yeah. and and it was like that in so many towns through Utah, whether it was building a fence or painting a door or <laughs> planting trees. We painted a lot. Lots of painting, <laughs> lots of trees. But that's how connection is made. And and it's so different than you would just talking to someone face to face. It's so true. And especially, I guess for me, it was, you're in their community, yes. the place where they have such emotional ties. They, they are invested. Absolutely. And, and, and they just want to, I guess the, the funnest part for me was they want to share it with yes. you. It was their passions. Like yeah. this park in Hildell was obviously something they are passionate about. Like they, they would tell me the the whole history and come taste our water, which was amazing. It was, the water it was in Hildale is fantastic. <laughs> if you're ever down there, and even forget this Fiji stuff. <laughs> like Hildale, Hildale water is where it's, it's at. It's amazing, and I yeah. feel like in so many of these places, they were showing us the things that were important to them. Whether it wasn't you know the old museums or old theaters, and I loved seeing their passions and the way they would rally behind the things that were important to their community. And it just, it was just such a connecting experience for, I think for them as a community, but also um, for you and for Spencer. I mean, you can't, you can't connect in a better way. No. And it's so true. And I guess, and I've told this story a few times, but um, my, I think my favorite experience with the service projects was we were in price and there Mm. was a elementary school with, a cemetery that was right next to it, next to the playground. And there were some kids um, in the school whose siblings had passed away by suicide. And every time those little kiddos came out to the playground at their elementary school, they were reminded of that tragedy and and that grief in their life, and so the community again seeing a need, yeah. the community ra- the community rallied around 
a couple of students, but the whole, right. I mean, what were there, like 200? So many people. People that came out to that event, to and it that was a, service project. Right. And it was such an, an, a niche need that we could never have figured out what they needed. Yeah. And I loved going into communities and saying, what's your actual need? And it's big or small, but they know, they know what they need help with. And yeah. I loved that aspect yeah. of, of doing all of these projects. I loved it too. So we put the privacy slats in the fence between the oh. the playground and the cemetery so that these kids could just come out yeah. and be kids. And be kids. Um it was it was beautiful. Because that's what they need. Yeah. So I love this idea that you talked about, you know, this the sense of community, the sense of connection that we get when we're serving together. So I guess that's I think why this is the sort of the wraparound initiative right. the, the <laughs> glue focus. between all, yeah. all the all four initiatives i think it is and and you know it'll be with the with the governor's office we're, we're going to come together and continue to do these service projects right. um going forward so do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you see this initiative doing um as as part of our our show up um initiative <laughs> right well i think i mean we just want people to show up and i think for a service opportunity you do have to physically be Show there yeah. you have to be there in your work clothes and and I love that that we can go into communities and ask what their needs are because up here you know especially when you're along the Wasatch front it's hard to to know what all the needs are but when we can go into the community and say what can we help you with then not only can we help with their need but we get to know them, we get to know their community, we get to know the things they're passionate about. And I just really love that. It allows, I think it'll allow the governor's office to show up for the communities that, that they serve. And hopefully people in the community can show up as well. Yeah, which they will. So this is this is going to be just a really important part of what we do. Um, we are going to do, obviously, this is going to drop after we've done our our initial service project right. of um, putting um, thank you kits together for our foster families. And we'll be distributing those throughout the state to each one of our foster and kinship families. So, um, and we have a huge group coming together <laughs> to do, to do this project and yeah. it's going to be amazing. So I just love the idea of, of people coming together and working on this stuff together. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts? No, I'm just excited to, to show up for all your projects. <laughs> and, and Sarah is amazing. She is also working. Um, she's our deputy director for initiatives, for the First Lady Initiatives. And so we have an awesome team. Uh, Kirsten and Sarah and I have been working really hard on putting this stuff together along with all of our incredible partners. We have Absolutely. all these nonprofit partners. We have government partners. Um, we have our women's coalition partners. And so we we are just ready to get going. We are ready to shine a spotlight on some of these issues. We are ready to really do some meaningful work um, throughout our state. So we hope you'll come along with us. Um, and if any of these initiatives speak to you, please let us know. Um, we will have a landing page. We will have a website up and we will have ways for you to get involved in the things that that we're doing with these initiatives so show up with us and show up utah and we uh we're really excited to have you with us thanks 
Thank you to our guests for sharing your stories and your hearts with us. I'm so ready to get to work on these projects. You can find Kirsten Rapley on Twitter and Instagram at Kirsten Frankly. Melissa Hart's organization, America's Kids Belong, is at americaskidsbelong.org. Carla represented Utah's Special Olympics Unified Sports. Find more info at sout.org. John Arthur, Utah's 2021 Teacher of the Year, is on Twitter at 9th Evermore. And Sarah Allred was one of our wonderful team members behind our new social handles for this initiative at Show Up Utah on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Until next time, thanks for being a friend.